0: Welcome to the Unearthed Man Podcast, the journey of becoming a conscious man, hosted by Milva. Hey all, Milva here, and welcome to episode 42 of the Unearthed Man Podcast. To kick off, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we work and gather, and their continuing connection to land and waters. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. I pay tribute to the diversity of First Nations peoples of Australia and their ongoing culture. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then welcome aboard. If you're one of my regular listeners, then welcome back. I really appreciate your ongoing support. So if you're looking to know more about The Unearthed Man, then you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I would again like to pass on my sincere gratitude and love to Jabakala, or otherwise known as Alec Willie Stanley Dumiji, from last week's episode. I'm still in awe of the story he told around his spiritual connection with, with the Lakota people in North America and the walkabout that he undertook to connect the spiritual and physical worlds. As I mentioned at the end, I'll be getting Alec back on to continue the conversation and in particular to continue to raise the awareness of what is taking place in Aboriginal Australia today. I first came across my guest today via my wonderful daughter Talia. She struggled with depression, anxiety, suicide attempts and drug abuse. That all changed after doing my guest program, Line in the Sand. After that, she moved to Cairns and restarted her life afresh. This has been the most amazing experience for her, and I feel immense joy every time I chat to her. I personally feel that this would not have happened without the guidance, support, and encouragement shown by my guest. On that point, my guest works with men and women who struggle to break free of their vices, who want to live a life of freedom without needing to lean on alcohol, porn, social media, pills, food, weed, drugs, or anything else holding them back that leaves them feeling regretful, empty, and unfulfilled. He helps them to dig up their vice, rip it up at its roots, and guide them to recede the programming so that it never shows up again. What separates him from other coaches is that he has lived the experience. He comes from the trenches of rock-bottom drug and alcohol addiction and benefits to this. And because of this, his clients experience permanent, lasting shifts and learn to live what it means to be better than their bullshit and how to thrive whilst doing so. Welcome to the Unearth Man podcast, Drew Wild. Hey, Drew.
1: Hello, my bro. Thank you so much. Honour and a privilege to be here. I actually felt I got hit by a bit of a wave of emotion when you started to talk about Talia. Um, yeah, it was really, yeah, really beautiful relationship that I have with your daughter. And it has been a, it's been a real privilege to work with her and help her and support her and guide her over the last, you know, three, four, five, probably actually onwards to six months. Yep. Um, yeah. 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 I, I
0: look, you know we um we have immense gratitude for for what you've done. Ah, uh, she you know she found herself lost in in many scenes. Um, and as parents, you're aware of it, but it's hard to navigate out of it. And you know what's right or what's wrong, and you know how to support. But the fact she came across, um, I think she came across you off the back of doing Queen Warrior. Um, and then yeah, she just, and I think it's like anything. You know, people have an affinity to certain coaches. Uh, maybe because, mm. you know, to what we spoke about in the intro, the affinity is often because you've been there, you know, like yeah. I know some coaches who have come from a different angle, but you know, a lot of the coaches that have been down that path and, and know what it's like, people can just have that alignment and go, Oh, cool. If he's come out of it, you know, um, uh, then I can come out of it. Yeah. But I, um, but to be honest, there's definitely a personality uh, alignment. I think you're both fairly, uh, fairly wacky and crazy <laughs> out there, which I think she loves. You know, you're like sure. you're, you're not a uh, pretentious, or you're not anything else. Like you know, you're a genuine, just real,
1: bro. A real. real, real, bro. Absolutely real, and just honouring and acknowledging her as well. Just for and what I love, and I and I witness all the time is just that that ability to follow the breadcrumbs. You know, I I do get a lot of people that come from through sort of the men chapters or the men programs and they find their way into my space. And it's just it's a series of following the the breadcrumbs and especially with Tali as well for for taking that leap and step into working with me one on one. And now in my graduate course and programs and being a support coach as well. And that's kind of it. Like if you align with someone and you find someone that you know holds a few keys or pieces of the puzzle in your own journey, it's just continue to follow that while it still feels good, while it still feels aligned and um, and watch the world expand.
0: Yeah, yeah, I oh, look absolutely. Um, I'm not sure I talked about this. For those who don't know, Talia now living basically up in Cairns, North Queensland, spends two days a week out on an island doing stand up paddleboard hire and kayak hire, and has just moved into a farmhouse, you know, yes. pretty much right in the middle of the bush. Um, so she's so far away from, you know, um, and it's not an escapism. And that's the really key thing about this. Like she didn't just escape a life and pack up no. and disappear. She actually transformed her life. And she's actually gone from disconnected, which she was in the city and the city scene and, and what was happening here socially in Melbourne. And she's actually, she's learned how to reconnect with nature, reconnect yeah. with people and reconnect with what's going around her. So, and yeah. I think that's testament to what you do, Drew, as we spoke about, like you you help people reprogram from yeah, what, what i'm now looking at is from going through a process of disconnection to reconnection to true connection to life universe you know getting value out of life understanding being grateful for just the simple things and what's around you and i, and I think that's that's an awesome experience for people to be going through
1: yeah definitely my bro. No, and what i love as well and sort of what was coming through when you shared that is is uh, i call it like it's like things anything This. The relationship that we have with anything, nothing's good or bad or right or wrong. I genuinely believe, I I love separating it if we've got to separate it into anything to effective or ineffective. And I've always said this, like, I don't tell people to stop drinking. I don't tell people that the drinking or the drugs is the demon or the devil. And, you know, you've got to abstain for the rest of your life or, you know, whatever that thing is, whether it's porn or gambling or woman or shitty relationships or people pleasing. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's like, where are you operating from? when you're choosing to make that behavior and i love that you said you know like when talia made that move she wasn't running for a lot of people it definitely can be and i know i've fucking run i've done i've like i try I moved, to my now i'm sure at some point i'll share my story and my journey like i moved to one of the it will be a very beautiful town in new zealand but a very small town and it was a run it was an escape it was like i've got to get out of here and it was coming from a place of my unwillingness to actually look within myself, it was like they call it the geographical and a lot of the like support groups I used to spend time and that I'll do the geographical i'll if I move away from all my problems, surely the problems won't follow me. It's like it's a load of shit. <laughs> there are the problems within me. it's got nothing to do right. with I mean, your environment contributes severely, obviously, but when it's coming from and rooted within yourself, um then it's going to turn up. You're the common denominator, right? And that was something that that her and I really felt into and felt through when we were working together was like, where was this shift coming from? Is it coming from an effective place or an ineffective place? And it was completely effective because it was completely aligned to the new version of herself that she had become. Mm. And so it was huge support when she chose to do that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I still remember, and we are getting, getting on to you. This is not a podcast about my daughter, but, but I think it talks into the fact the value of having you know understanding that sits inside you and what you can do. So I think there's power in this. Is that yeah. I still remember her, she she saw a sign on a boat on the way to an island just to have a, a, a day on an island that said, you know, looking for someone, looking for staff. And I think she reached out to you and said, "Hey, I've seen your sign." I think your answer was, "Fuck yes, sign up and move." (laughs) (laughs) What are you waiting for? Like, like your intuition's already said yes. Like, you know, stop thinking about it. And and I think you know. And again, it's just those simple things or the messages. Like, your heart said this is right. Yeah. So get out of your head, drop down into your heart. You know, get down into your heart and your Mm -hmm. gut and say, right, if this is what it's actually coming up from down that depth, then fucking do it. Like. Just have a cracker and do it.
1: And on that, like it takes a lot of work to actually build that connection and trust with yourself and with your own body. Because, you know, the reality is most people on this planet spend 95% of their reality to disconnecting from themselves, Mm. disconnecting from that, disconnecting from that innate knowing that internal guidance system. Um, and so, yeah, we do everything I can, we can ultimately to try and turn our backs on that because, uh, it, it's kind of the path that's a little bit more challenging or a little bit scarier or a little bit more confronting, but it's also the one that, that holds all the keys. It's the most expansive. It's where we learn the most, it's where we grow the most, but we're also not taught how to actually just fucking tune in and to, and to operate from that baseline.
0: No, you're absolutely spot on. You're spot on. Okay, so let's double back. Um, Your story, your journey. Because ultimately, that's what this is about. It's about empowering other men to understand that, you know, we've all, we've all had a journey and we've all had a story and you can actually pack up and move from that. So, mm. you know, we alluded in the intro, you know, um, drugs, alcohol addiction. Um, you've alluded that, you know, you were in New Zealand and you tried to geographically escape, but, uh, that didn't get you where you wanted. So do you want to take us a, a step back Drew, and uh, talk yeah, through definitely. your story?
1: Um, yeah. Where do I start? I mean, from the outside growing up you know everything would have looked pretty fucking lovely and privileged and and beautiful and just i mean it was you know it wasn't wasn't a traumatic upbringing bro in the sense of what probably a mainstream narrative of a, of a traumatic upbringing would look like you know i've never been sexually abused i've never been abused in the way that, that a lot of people deem abuse i've never um you know we, we were well off mum and dad were reasonably wealthy so you know there was always food on the table Um, and I was always, I was always loved. Um, uh, mm. and in that, you know, there, there were experiences of instability. Um, and obviously I'll get to that and what I've, I've learned that Ted, who I've created for myself, but what it, what it felt like, even as a, as a, as a youngster, as a kid, was just this, this, um, just irritability, sort of just a restlessness. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was what I obviously I know now to be this kind of this unsettled nervous system, um, and and kind of this feeling like I was walking around on eggshells, um, and so it created this, um, yeah, just an unease within myself, within my being, who I was even as a kid. And so, you know, I could look back these days and see that these patterns of wanting to escape or kind of numb were were present from, you know, from quite young. I just hadn't really quite yet probably found the means in which I enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, if the, the first probably I'd say vice that I really found solace in would have been porn for me. I remember finding, I think maybe it was even my uncle's magazines, like Playboys and stuff. And I remember just the the kind of the rush it gave me, this this feeling of like kind of felt naughty, but also yep. feeling like what I wouldn't have known then, just the the hormonal charge that was going through my body, the the excitement that I was feeling, the, the kind of like it's almost like this this tunnel vision experience for you, kind of, kind of nothing, nothing else existed within mm. that world. Um, and mind you, you no, know, internet probably wasn't even really accessible back then. I also remember finding like some. VHSs, you know, that I think maybe dad had recorded or something from, or we had, was it Sky One back in the day? You could sneak up, I'd sneak up at night and I think from about 12 p.m., at night they'd play these like real soft core kind of porn movies on Sky One. <laughs> right, yeah.
0: They're like world movies you can see Yeah, tonight,
1: yeah. <laughs> totally. Like probably be like advertising today. Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: <That's hard>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe Max, you saw a few, a few titties, and that, that was yep. kind of it. Um but yeah, I just remember the 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 kind of just the rush and the excitement, but also I say rush and excitement. What I actually was experiencing, and again, I only know this now from the work that I've done on myself, is it was actually just a sense of presence mm. and stillness and calm and ease. It was like, oh, okay, this, this, is, this is something that makes me feel better about myself. Yep. Um, uh, internet maybe sort of started coming into my life around then as well. So probably started like going into those sort of like porn, porn more porn, like wormholes, I'd call mm-hmm. them. Um, I also started smoking weed at a really young age. I probably found my dad's stash. My dad was was a very successful businessman. Um, uh, And I think, I mean, he wouldn't have smoked a lot of weed. Um, But, you know, that was his way of just kind of chilling out. Mm -hmm. And he always had quite a lot. (laughs) And I don't think he noticed much when I sort of (laughs) pitched a couple of nuggies here and there. But, you know, I started and i wasn't smoking regularly but i first smoked weed at 11 years old um which is remarkably young you know you mm. know i look at 11 year old these days and it's hard to kind of fathom that someone you know with the fucking pipe and a lighter having a smoke a <laughs> um but again it was just this, this feeling of like i felt relaxed i felt calm i felt chilled i felt at ease i was having fun mm. And it was very much that for most of my teens, you know, it wasn't out of control. It was boys being boys. And, you know, most of my friends, I probably, actually, I probably introduced a lot of my friends to weed. <laughs> I was just like, you know, come and come and check this out. I got to remember, I can't really do hand gestures on a podcast. Can I? No, that's right.
0: yeah. But it was
1: kind of, you know, like, come and check this out. Look what I found. And, you know, we'd have a little bit of a smoke. And I definitely became more regular, like most of my, Weekends, probably throughout most of high school, we would have you know at least had a session or had a few mm-hmm. drinks. Again, it was for my world, it was just boys being boys. And like especially in my age group, my year group, it was really common. you know yeah. you'd you'd find a party, you'd have a bit of a party, and then I'd go back to school. I was pretty good at fucking school as well. you know, I was reasonably bright, smart, intelligent. Did well, you know, usual story, distracted the class. Yep. <laughs> the
0: class clown was
1: fucking definitely the class clown. Um, but nothing outrageous, you know. Um, And, you know, I played a lot of sport and it was all kind of pretty normal for me, you know, an inverted hmm. commas normal until I ended up leaving. I had a sort of a long-term girlfriend from a young age, from like 16 to maybe 19 or 20. We were together. Okay. Um, I went overseas when I left school, so I did the OE, did a gap year, loved it, best year of my life, it was absolutely incredible, but, uh, you know, I definitely partied pretty hard over there as well, also came home just with a bit of an ego, came home with a bit of an ego, came home probably thinking I I was, you know, I don't want to say someone I wasn't, but I just, my priorities had shifted Mm. and she became very much sort of second best to everything I did. I fell in with a crowd who I kind of deemed to be, you know, as cool kids. I was working for like the, the, the party radio station of New Zealand Yep. George FM at the time. If anyone knows George FM, the Kiwis will know George FM. It's very much the, the sort of, you know, it's your electro, it's your party right. radio station. So you could imagine the scene that went with that as well. Right. Yep. 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 Um, and again, uh, this this beautiful girlfriend of mine was constantly put second best, second best, second best, second best, second best, and so finally, she, thankfully, amazingly, you know, fucking stood in her power and said, "Fuck you, like I'm done with this shit," yeah, um, and walked away, and, and it fucking crushed me, bro. You know, it was my you know, first real sort of excruciating experience of heartbreak, and as I I know a lot of men on you know listening to this could relate to that, They've, most have had that. Most have had an experience of some sort of heart rate, especially at a young age. Um, And at that age, I had no idea how to process that, how to feel that, you know, this is a key component of what I teach and preach these days is a lot of what I deem addiction to be birthed out of is this human inability to feel and process emotion.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And again, I had no clue, not no idea in the world. I, I felt fucking absolutely miserable. I felt depressed. I went into a depression. i i I believe depression to be a result of this again an inability to, to process or feel mm-hmm. um and so we go into a state of numbness into a state of suppression um and yeah it's just what i knew really did work fucking well though bro was drugs alcohol and more women yep partying just burying myself bro, trying to look as if i had all my shit together i don't need you i'm fine i'm great look at me having a good time over here meanwhile like i'm just you know i'm crying on the inside
0: yeah yeah
1: absolutely crying on the inside and um yeah it was a messy separation like it was a messy breakup as well it wasn't just wasn't fucking enjoyable in any way shape or form um and it, i i believe it to be a, a, probably a, a at least a catalyst towards where i ended up it, it sort of was like the push that really accentuated my my drinking and my drug use and to the point where, um, but ultimately I was sort of living in my car. You know, I, I, I was in such a state that I didn't want to be around anybody. I was so like, I was just committed to drinking my drugging myself into obliteration daily. That was like, it became my medicine. It literally became the only thing that I knew worked, um, but also the thing that was that was killing me. Mm. Um. Uh. So anyway, long story short, I, my my dad ended up finding me. I'd sort of been AWOL and probably missing for a couple of months, and he found me in my car, and they brought me home, and they they sort of knew something what was going on. So they had hatched a bit of a plan behind the scenes, and um, got home, and they just said, you know, do you want help? fuck yes like yes please i don't know what this is i don't know i had no idea what addiction was at the time yeah not a fucking clue and um i just all i knew is i couldn't stop i had a compulsion and i also knew that it was it was doing a lot of damage in my life and creating a lot of chaos so I experienced sort of my first detox. Um, ended up getting loaded up. They, what they do is basically load you up in a whole bunch of Valium because it can be really yep. dangerous. One of the most dangerous drugs in, is to come off is actually alcohol. Um, you can go into sort of seizures if you've been drinking enough for a long enough time. Yep, yep. Um, so they load you up in, on sort of Valium and um, went through my detox process, which is also reasonably excruciating, and then found my way into rehab pretty quick, smart by about 22 years old okay and uh, i mean rehab was pretty incredible if i'm being honest bro like a, it was a pretty nice establishment that i ended up in it was probably my first experience of of learning about myself yes of sort of just understanding how i worked and ticked and and, and being around humans with, that have had you know had a shared experience Ooh. that in itself is medicine you know as i know a lot of people I'm sure that you've had on already can testify to that like community and just having humans that in the, in the, in the depths, you can feel very alone. You can feel very isolated. You feel like you're absolutely going just crazy and insane. And you you think, well, I think, especially I thought, surely there's no one else on this planet living like this.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> surely. Unfortunately, the reality is quite the opposite a lot of Anytime. most of us are and um so just having that that like it was almost like a breath of fresh air it's like oh and you know what actually some of the best laughs i've ever had in my life just telling the stories the the stories of how insane some of our behaviors got yeah and yep. and meeting each other in that and being seen in that and just feel oh i'm not the only one. <laughs> Oh, fuck this feels good <laughs> um and but you know even back then bro i I had a lot of questions that people couldn't answer you know just why why where does this come from Mm. where is the stem from and you know it was it was a 12-step based rehabilitation center and i'm not i will never shit on it on the 12 steps you know aa alcoholics anonymous narcotics anonymous it's all built out of what is is a 12-step program at the end of the day it's exactly what got me clean and sober um and it's what I needed at the time. Uh, uh, There are a few sort of fundamentals uh, principles that it's built and birthed out of that. I just don't agree with And the first being that um, addiction is a disease. I don't believe it to be a disease. And so I kept getting told this at 22 years old and, you know, I'd ask why it's like, well, you've got a disease for which there's no known cure. It's like, it doesn't make sense. And this is even that then, you know, I was a very inquisitive person. I'd always question things, especially if it just didn't feel right in my fucking body. Yeah. But you know, I still had to just kind of surrender and I, you know, get to a point where I'm like, well, these guys obviously know a hell of a lot more than I do. So I'll take it as gospel and I'll, you know, I'll do what I need to do to, you know, try and stay clean. and sober. which actually didn't last that long. To be honest, my man, I, um, uh I sort of started doing all the right things and going to all my support groups and meetings and we had a pretty cool outpatient program with the rehab that I went through there was a group of us that were quite sort of younger crowd like there would have Mm -hmm. been maybe six or seven of us that had gone through at the same time that were all probably between like 20 years old and maybe 25 years old. Okay. Yep. We kind of would h- hang out. The guy who ran the, the rehab had a house next door and he was reasonably well off and kind of just loaded up his fridge for us. And we could hang out by the pool and sort of it was a safe space for us through summer. Do you know what I mean? Nice. Yep.
0: Um,
1: but as well at that age, bro, like I, my entire life was centered around drinking and partying. Ooh. And so it was really hard for me to sort of integrate back into my friend groups, into my community, into my circles without being around that. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of lapsed here and there until it kind of just got to a point where it was normal for me to drink again. Right. Yeah. Friends weren't judging it. Family wasn't probably happy, but they it wasn't out of control. So they kind of didn't have, much else to say on the matter Mm -hmm. um and then i just sort of started crafting my entire life around how much more can i make this sort of uh, compatible with my lifestyle and i started working in the liquor industry of course
0: (laughs) (laughs) why wouldn't you (laughs) Uh, of
1: course yeah just the insanity of it all hey um along the way i also developed a very uh strong valium dependency okay uh, and again it was all of this was 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 fueled by my compulsion and and hunt and and uh and desire of actually just stillness presence mm. calm a sense of ease within myself so i always preferred downers i always preferred the like you know the muscle relaxants alcohol benzos like they were the sort of drugs that most made me the this, this sense of like i can fucking just breathe My problem was it wasn't just one or two. It was, you know, I'd I'd talk myself into having one or two and then it would be absolute blackout and and obliteration. Mm. And that was kind of my life, bro, for maybe the next decade. The pattern was, you know, insert trigger or insert moment where I thought it was a good idea to go and have a drink. And it was like playing Russian roulette. I I never knew where I'd end up. Sometimes I might have been lucky and it might have been just a night, quite rarely, but maybe. Mm. Sometimes it might have been a weekend. Sometimes it might have been a week. Sometimes it was three
0: months. Right. Yeah. You know,
1: I never knew when I would stop. Mm. Sometimes I could dig myself out of that hole. It was quite dangerous because I did have a fucking really strong Valium habit. I always had a strong supply of Valium. As I've already shared, Valium also the thing they use to detox. So if I went on a huge, massive bender, I also had a way of detoxing myself, Yep. which was quite fucking dangerous. Do you see it's, where I'm going with yeah. this? It kind of perpetuated the whole cycle.
0: Yep.
1: Yep. Um. So that was kind of the way I lived my life for a very long time was, you know, insert trigger, roll the dice might've been out for a weekend. might've been out for three months given depending on where I was at, maybe needed some sort of medical care, attention, detox, whatever. Maybe I could just kind of crawl myself out of that hole through my little process, make all the promises to myself, my family, anyone else I had created havoc and chaos with flatmates, whoever's booze I'd stolen along the way, like money, whatever I had, I'd went to, you know, any links and means necessary to, to, ultimately get my medicine Mm, Yeah, Um, and a lot of people copped it along the way a lot of lies a lot of manipulation a lot of bullshit Mm, yeah Um, uh, and then you know I'd I'd start doing all the right things and I'd I'd clear up the mess of the havoc and and literally clean up my bedroom it might have been fucking vomit and piss in the corner something like that get rid of all the cans, whatever it was, all the bags, and then, uh, you know, start getting back into the gym and eating right and getting back into some sort of routine and how maybe even getting back to some of my support groups and reaching out to mentors and guides and things like this and just asking for help. And then it would work because so I was doing all the right things I started feeling good again, started feeling amazing. And humans are so attuned to forgetting the hurt and forgetting the pain. It's kind of how we're wired. Um, I would get complacent. And so yeah. because I was feeling so good, I'd stop doing all the things that were making me feel good. I'd stop doing the things that reminded me of where I can't go back to. I'd stop just doing the things that literally filled and filled and fueled me. Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: Um, And because of that complacency, I'd, I'd coast. And again, for me, it was, it could have been, that could have been just a few days. That could have been a week. Or it could have been three months. Maybe. I don't think I ever really got much more than six months. Right. And then away down the rabbit hole, I'd go again. Yeah. And that was sort of how I lived my life. And it was, it was pretty chaotic. Um, you know, multiple, 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 multiple hospital visits and accidental overdoses and... Um, you know, and when I was really in my depths and and this is the same for a lot of like, you know, people who sort of take their addictions to the extremes that I did you'll isolate, bro, because it's so fucked up. You don't want anyone to be in your experience. It's mm. are mm. in so much shame. You're in so much guilt. You're in, you know, that the way you're behaving isn't normal. And a lot of people wouldn't necessarily accept it or be able to understand it. And therefore they wouldn't be able to hold any sort of compassion for what you're going through. So it's all behind closed doors. Yeah. Is it a, like deep in stillness of a paranoia that comes through when you're in these experiences as well? Just afraid of being found out, afraid of ultimately probably actually just being cut off
0: mm, from yep. what
1: it is that you think is keeping you alive. Um, uh, along the way, my dad died. So at 20, I think it was about 26 when my dad died, my dad got okay. a brain tumor who was, you know, ultimately is one of my best mates, you know, we had a really beautiful relationship, incredible man, incredible man. Um, But again, you know, just to highlight more hurt, more pain, more emotions, I didn't know how to feel grief, suppress, numb, hide, shove it all down. Yeah, Shove, 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 more drink, more drugs. Um, Along the way, you know, like I said at the start, I, I did that geographical way. I actually ended up down in a place called Wanaka in New Zealand, beautiful, beautiful part of New Zealand. Um, I ended up, what happened, I ended up in in a real state and I had to detox and my family in Auckland had had enough of me. So they put me on a plane to go down to stay with my mum who was living in Christchurch at the time. Yep. Ended up, I don't, I'm pretty sure most, if anyone ever asked me how I ended up in Wanaka, I think the bullshit story I used to tell people is that I went down there for a wedding and decided to stay.
0: Right, okay.
1: (laughs) Absolute (laughs) horseshit. I went down to Christchurch to detox, and mum had to go down for, I think, maybe a wedding or a funeral or something down the line, further down to central Otago. And she didn't want to leave me at home because she ultimately didn't trust me and I was detoxing. Mm. Um, So she put me in the car, and I didn't really have any fucking choice. I was going to Wanaka, whether I wanted to or not. Ended up in Wanaka. We did, we were only meant to be there a few days and then mum recognized quite quickly how much I was just in, I had always had a like huge reverence for that part of New Zealand Mm. and it was really quite healing for me. So mum was like, look, let's just stay. We had family friends down there and um, ended up staying for a couple of weeks and um, yeah, went back to Auckland for maybe two weeks, packed up all my shit, and moved and did the geographical Yep. I was like, oh, this will save all my problems. I'll just move to Wanaka. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and you know, it kind of did for a wee while. I did fall in with the sort of recovery crowd down there and support groups and meetings and, and got an amazing, uh, what they call a sponsor, like a mentor within mm-hmm. that space. And he was an incredible, is an incredible human still in my life. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, it's like, I guess along the way, bro, what the gift that my dad gave me, two gifts. Number one was like, your health is your wealth. Yep. So I saw him diet, you know, 63 years old. Mm, I mean, he, I wouldn't say he was unhealthy, but he would have been under high levels of stress for a lot of his work life. Um, I'd never really saw him move. It was mm-hmm. quite sedentary. He wasn't overweight. Like, I wouldn't call him fat, he definitely wasn't in shape. But, uh, you know, I don't remember ever really seeing him run. Like, he definitely didn't exercise. It wasn't part of his daily regime. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So I
1: was like, I could see all these factors that contributed to this this brain tumor. Um, And so it was like, wow, your health is your wealth. That was like gift number one from him dying. Gift number two was, I think he wished he did things a little bit differently. And so, what came from that was just like, you know, in some of our conversations with Fred Doug, was like, Drew, just do what fucking makes you happy, bro. Yeah. Like, just go and do what makes you happy. Life's short. Like, what's the point in choking yourself with a fucking tie for, you know, day in, day out, five days a week, more, much more than 40 hours a week, probably. Mm you know, trying to battle to for 40 years of your life to try to save 40% of your income just so that you could, you know, try and live your best life at 65. Like, what sort of fucking bullshit trap is that? Yep. (laughs) Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Dad lived an amazing life, but I think he just wished he had probably a little bit more time to enjoy the, the life that he had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that kind of instilled this, this this desire to just want to create a life by design, work for myself. Um, and so I started this little tech company. And bear in mind, I still hadn't actually addressed the problem of fucking addiction yet, bro. <laughs> I built this little tech business. as so I was pretty handy on, on computers. It gave me a taste. Along the way, what actually happened is I ended up bumping into an old friend of mine that I traveled through Europe with on this OE that I did. And she had stumbled across this network marketing company. It was, you know, the, the sort of shakes and supplements type setup. Yep. And um, uh, anyway, I ended up using the products, had an incredible result on the products, huge weight loss journey started this 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 network marketing company which i thought was absolutely fucking incredible at the time i still love network marketing i think it's amazing Mm -hmm. i'm not involved in it anymore but it was a huge catalyst to where i am today it gave me community it gave me a sense of purpose it was a huge element of of personal development tied into it and i had this business i was making money doing something i loved doing something i was aligned to um so, but again, still hadn't quite figured out the addiction thing. Did really well with this company, mind you, when I was on. So when I was on, I was on. Um, And through this company, because I was really quite good at what I was doing, I ended up winning a trip to Las Vegas.
0: Right,
1: <laughs> All expenses paid trip to Las Vegas, bro. That
0: would feel dangerous. Yeah, so you can see where this is going, right? <laughs> right yeah. I
1: yeah. was uh, so living in Wanaka. All expenses trade trip to, to, to Las Vegas. And I I was li- not only was I lying to everyone around me, I was lying to myself that I thought I'd be fine going to Las Vegas. Power of the subconscious mind, man, it's crazy. You know, I ended up there five, literally five days before anyone else in my company was even in Vegas. I think probably the subconscious mind was going, get it out of your system before they turn up. Yeah. Um, I basically flew into Vegas within 30 minutes of landing, jumped in an Uber, didn't really know where I was going, just wanted to head to the strip. Uber driver turns around, looks at me, and he's like, he's like, where do you want to go? I'm like, dude, I've never been here in my life. Where should I go? And he looks at me, he's like, bro, do you smoke weed? (laughs) I was like, fuck. bro, I haven't smoked weed in fucking years uh it's like dude it's legal here now should we just go to a dispensary i'm like yeah fuck it go on we ended up at a dispensary within like half an hour of landing i was high as a fucking kite walk got ended up getting dropped into the casinos. 30 you know probably two hours after that I would have been drunk ass because it was all free booze and stuff you know what i mean yeah. they want to get you to lick it up so that you spend more on all the bloody pokies and that and and probably two hours after that um, some contacts some friends of mine from nZ had sent me contacts for Coke, so I had a couple of eight balls, and I was just out the gate, and I was out the gate for the majority of the time I spent in Las Vegas, you know, like our keynote speaker was fucking like Tony Robbins. <laughs> I was like fucking lit up, like Tony speaking, I'm probably on Coke just like coked out of my brain, like, yeah, Tony. <laughs> Um, and what I didn't know, which was perfect, is this that this was kind of the the, the beginning of my demise, my last hurrah, if you will. And uh, I ended up coming home. I came home through Hawaii. Had a couple of stopovers. I had a few days stopover in Hawaii. I was like, fucking drink driving a hire car through Hawaii. Like it was just crazy shit. Like real dangerous shit. Um, managed to get home. I was obliterated myself on the plane ride the whole way home. Like, I remember the air hostess just got sick of bringing bottles, <laughs> you know, the little bottles just got sick of me asking every 10 minutes. She just brought me like 10 of them. Um, somehow got my my way, found my ass back down to Wanaka and, and just, just started drinking myself into into oblivion. I was drinking anywhere between like one or two bottles of vodka a day. Mm. Um my life was literally like waking up from a blackout, drinking myself back into a blackout, copy and paste, copy and paste. Like I was too scared to even leave my room. I was literally like pissing in the corner of my room. Um it was pretty, pretty disgusting, bro. Mm. And it was um, it was the tipping point. And I was I was literally drinking myself to death. I knew it. I knew it real well. I knew exactly what I was doing. But there was something in me that also didn't know how to stop. There was that compulsion. There was that dependency. Yep. There was that. It, it felt scarier and more painful to stop than to not. Um, yep. And thankfully, again, Mum knows and knew by this point along the journey that if I went a well or wasn't answering my phone or messages, she knew what was going on. So she had been in sort of cahoots with my mentor and Monica, um, and they behind the scenes had already found a rehab for me they would they also knew that there was no way i was going until i was i said you know i wanted it Mm. and that's the nature of this unfortunately and i have this conversation with so many friends of and family members of people in that group that there is not much you can do until they're ready and they're willing yep and so i did i finally got to a breaking point um, where I must have just texted or messaged uh, this this beautiful man in my life who was sort of, you know, my mentor at the time. And I just said, dude, I, I need help. So he was around pretty damn quick. I think he probably scooped me into his car and took me to the doctor to initiate some sort of a detox. Mm. Um And then I actually ended up detoxing just down there, kind of in, in the care of him. Um So there was kind of a, there was a, two weeks space i actually ended up getting into rehab sober which was cool um and still went to rehab and and did another four i think i ended up doing six weeks in rehab this time i did a month that was around about no it must have been end of november because i went through to december and then i added two weeks because i wanted to stay in there through christmas and new year because like new year especially in new zealand is like chaotic like that's like Party Central. It's when all the festivals are on. Yeah. <laughs> it's when everyone's getting like their most lit in New Zealand. It's New Year. So um, I stayed in an extra couple of weeks and came out probably just after New Year's uh and that that experience was when just the that that shift happened i talk about the shift all the time I, i've had it with you know hundreds and hundreds of people that i've worked with and coached with is it's not a teachable moment it's not something you can sort of coerce someone into it's not something you can coach somebody into it's a very individual experience of like i'm done yeah i've had enough for some people it's just a switch for some people it's a very spiritual experience for some people it's like it, it's it's quite logical for some people. It's like it's quite intellectual. Um, it can be very different for everybody. For me, it was just like something in me was just innately shifted. It was like I'm I am done. I can't do this because if I do, I will die. I don't want to die. It's not actually my intention and behind this. Um, and let's actually just try everything that everyone's ever suggested to me. Let's mm. do that. <laughs> Sure, Surely this healing journey can't be fucking harder than the life I'd created for myself at this point. Surely. Surely healing can't be that hard. And I was like, oh, fuck it. All right. Fuck it. You guys win. Let's give this shit a crack. And I did, bro, and I just went all in on me. And in the first year, it was like just laying the foundations of what it meant to stay, stay fucking clean and sober. What did that look like for me? It was it was very much twelve step based. You know, it was going to my meetings. It was meeting with my sponsor. It was doing my step work, and um, and and it worked for you know the initial phases and periods. And I was also very lucky that I was still working with this company, and this company still had this very strong pillar of personal development. So there was always a part of me that was hungry to grow, hungry to learn, hungry to expand, hungry to understand how I ticked, hungry just to know more about me. And, I, you know, I did get to a point where I sort of sat in these rooms and I was just like, "This, this isn't it for me. This just isn't it for me. Like Mm. a lot of these people look fucking miserable. As much as this has served me to this point, I can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life and um and so that's when i kind of just i went all in on my personal development my bro my my journey of self like whatever you want to call that everyone's got a different word for it i just call it you know a journey of self-discovery really it was like cool what else is there and i got really hungry and started exploring different mentors different workshops different uh, different programs different modalities and and started much like we spoke about again at the start of this podcast just started following the breadcrumbs
0: mm, yep
1: and through this this company i'd seen a lot of people and i'm pretty sure i think talia said you guys went and did the bridge experience right
0: correct oh jackie did my wife did i did unleash the beast with uh preston um cool. the, the guys one yeah
1: yeah yep, yeah yeah did both both <laughs> were absolute game changers yeah and um I had kept seeing these people within my company go and do the bridge with Preston and Alexi, and, and just and just walking out of these rooms in their entire life, just like absolutely doing a one eighty. Yep. I was like, hmm, all right, some some there's something in this for me. It's actually I will share this because it, it is it's amusing, and I think some guys in this will relate to it. I hadn't completely found my moral compass at, by this stage. I wasn't completely in full integrity. I was in a bit of a place. I was a bit stuck for money and I had crashed my car. It was my fault, completely my fault. I was speeding and I did an insurance job on it. And so I actually ended up doing an insurance job on it, got the payout, the insurance payout. I had a weird moral compass for a lot of my life. bro. <laughs> and so although I was okay with doing the insurance job, I wasn't okay with just the money going on like bullshit. So I was like, I've got all this cash, I've got to spend it on something that's gonna fuel my growth. <laughs> this is a few years ago, mind you. Yeah. I wouldn't it wouldn't go past my conscious these days. Um, so I invested it all into, into this trip over to Aussie to go and do the bridge.
0: Okay.
1: So I ended up over here, did the bridge, and it, it blew my mind. It, it was mm. everything I'd been looking for. You know, it was the first space in which I got to experience um true grief and emotion around my dad dying. Like one of the first experiences we did uh, an exercise, which I know that you'll be familiar with, which is just a really simple kind of a hug. Yes. And and I remember Preston narrating and it was like, what, imagine this was someone that you wished could be giving you a fucking hug right now. And that just opened the floodgates. Like,
0: yep.
1: Fucking dad, 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 all dad stuff, a whole weekend. So actually a lot of in my initial healing for the first couple of years was was consistently dad stuff i ended up at Unleash the beast bro that you were just talking about with Kristen yeah, yeah. as well there was a man in that room that was like if i showed you a photo of this dude and my dad they would like doppelgangers
0: right okay. so you could imagine
1: the trigger from being in that room as well having this yeah. man sitting in front of me and looked exactly like my fucking dad I was just like, you know, thank you, universe, in a weird, <laughs> weird, twisted, fucking way. Like this is kind of perfect.
0: Yeah, I love the like, universe, but you're yeah, a fucker. <laughs> exactly.
1: It was it. Bro. I just went through this 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 process of just starting to shed the layers. Um. So yeah, I, I started working with Preston pretty intimately. Did a, an extended six month mentorship with him afterwards. Um, and again, just started following the breadcrumbs. I got to a point where, um, because of that, I had met my my tribe, my community, my people on the Gold mm-hmm. Coast. I was like, "Holy shit! These are the humans I've always wanted in my life." Yeah, these are. The, I just I call them, and you can call them all the wanky shit you want. Whether you know conscious community or or woke humans, I just call them humans that give a fuck. You know, they're just yep. humans that care. They give a fuck. They're doing something different. Yeah. They're choosing to live in a different way. They're aligning to their values. Full stop. And they're living really truly and authentically to themselves. Um, And so I ended up moving, moved to the Gold Coast. Um, I moved here, bro. And, you know, it wasn't quite the the sunshine and rainbows that I thought it might have been. Like I really struggled to sort of land on my feet, finding a place, supplementing my income that I had in New Zealand or something else. Um, the woman that I had also fallen in love with during these workshops, we were no more. There's a bit of contention between us at the point in time. And um, I kind of had a bit of a breaking point here, bro. Not long after I moved to the Gold Coast and what I had done enough work on myself by this point, you know, I was probably a year or a year and a half clean and sober. And I had the support and I knew and I had enough self-awareness to know that in those moments, in those moments of darkness, despair, there's also a, a high level and opportunity to grow and expand. It's actually what's happening if you're willing to tune in, yeah, and just be and receive and be open and not judge or not run or not hide or suppress, which would have been my default in the past. Right, mm. my default was very much to like, oh, I'm facing adversity, fuck this drink drug whatever porn wormhole like (laughs) whatever that thing was um and instead i chose to sit bro and i sat and i sat and i sat and this probably went on for maybe a month man you know i just i had fallen out of alignment with the company that i was working for didn't really feel like it was filling me up Hmm. and um i ended up heading to one of my bro's houses uh leno i don't know if you've had leno on the podcast who's... uh
0: not yet but probably yeah. next year i want to get leno on cool. there absolutely
1: and just ended up at his place just uh just kind of chilling out i just needed to be around the bro yep and he had sort of you know what he was drafting up back then you know this was way before men's medicine way before any of that and um and uh it, he just had some sort of draft of some group program he was creating on his whiteboard. And it was just like this light bulb moment. It was just like, fuck, this, this, hmm. this is what I'm put on this fucking planet to do. And the biggest piece I've been denying my entire life, even during my personal development journey, was the truth of my story, which is one of fucking addiction. Yeah. This is what I'm here to do. This is what I'm here to change. This is the, what I'm here to recreate is how we view, perceive, approach and treat addiction. Yep. i had always had a different approach, a different idea. And I had had the experience through all the work that I had done of where this actually stems from. And it just landed. And it was also the thing that I held the most shame around. Mm-hmm. I had still the amount of times, even with the business I was, I was still doing lots of live, I was showing up, creating content. It was all around health and wellness. I'd still never actually been open and honest about my fucking story. Yep, yep. And so it just started with a story, bro. And I remember just hitting, hitting fucking live. I remember the house, remember when I did it. And I probably didn't last that long, bro. it might have been like 10 minutes, 10 minute live, just sort of ran through my story. Real quick, kind of freaking out, most probably. <laughs> and I don't know how many people watch that live, man. I could probably go and still see it on Instagram today and see how many views it has. Um, but let's say maybe, let's just say maybe 100 people saw it. <laughs> it felt like the whole fucking world had seen it. Yeah. And it felt like coming out of the closet. It felt like this, like, I'm fucking here. This is, this is my experience. This is my truth. This is what's made me the fucking man I am today. Yeah. I got to turn my mess into my fucking medicine or my pain into my purpose. And and this is what I'm actually here to fucking change. I've got no idea how I'm gonna do this, but I know that this is this is actually my true alignment, my true aligned purpose and passion and mission right now. Mm. So fucking let's see what I can do. <laughs> And again, just started following the breadcrumbs, bro. Yep. Like, yep. I've got a lot of tools. I've got a lot of things that a lot of people, actually, in my mind, nobody had been using to approach addiction that I was aware of then. Yes. And so I just started, bro. I just created this, little, this baseline program and I offered it out to the world. <laughs> and I think I did a, like this free sort of five-day experience or challenge. I remember the first time I ran it, this would be a few years ago now, bro. I would have had maybe 40 people in it. And probably half of them were good mates. Yeah, you know that I just wanted to make it look as if the program was more <laughs> full than it was. And the next time around, I did it. I maybe had 140 people. So wow, this is fucking cool. And then the next time I ran it, I had over 600 people, bro. And I was like, fuck, okay, there's something in this. And then again, mm. along the way, my, my my core program shifted and merged in different pillars of 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 what it takes to actually heal these parts of ourselves started dropping in and it was like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, you know, it's like the yep. sort of Da Vinci code it was like, Oh, this goes here. <laughs> and I just started seeing life through the lens of trauma mm. and what this is that all of this work has all has done is created, I guess sort of three or four key pillars in which I now approach addiction through and by, and what is sort of the main, that is, I would say, so not the mainstream. It's more than now the sort of cutting edge approach and becoming the more mainstream approach to addiction for those that are in the fucking know and haven't, you know, have stepped out of the indoctrination of old systems. Um, and number one is, is the thing isn't the fucking thing. <laughs> it's sort of my common through line, like stop treating the alcohol. Stop treating the drugs. Stop treating the porn. Stop treating the shitty relationships. Stop treating the people pleasing. Stop treating the the symptom. Mm. Stop treating the symptom. Full stop. The thing isn't the problem. It, it's 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 it comes from a much deeper rooted place. It comes from and actually is a result of of the internal hurt, the internal pain, the unacknowledged feelings, AKA the trauma. Yep. It's all rooted in the trauma. Um sort of pillar two became this this piece around this again. I've, I've touched on it at the start of the podcast. This is this human inability to feel and process emotions. We're not taught how to fucking feel. Mm. I have no doubt this has been a common thread and theme and conversation and talking point you've had with a lot of the men on this podcast, especially for yeah. men, this inability to fucking feel. Yes. Through again, conditioning, all conditioning whether you're just never taught, you're never allowed, you're a weak, you're a pussy, you're a little bitch if you cry, whatever, insert bullshit, indoctrinated belief that feeling isn't okay. Yep. Um. When it's actually everything. And this is a global thing. This isn't just men. And obviously it's a little, it can be more trickier for men. Women, obviously, uh, not obviously, women can often feel just a lot safer around this other women as well, just to express their feelings and express their emotions. Um. So that was kind of like yeah, through point number two that dropped in and that's held a huge piece of the puzzle for me. Um, number number three would kind of be just obliterating the kind of stigma attached to the word addiction. Mm. And I would encourage anyone that's even listening to this right now. It's like, where does your brain go when I say addict? I guarantee you for most people listening, it goes to the, like the, the the wino or the homeless bum, you know, asking for money and spending it on booze or looking for drugs or the junkie on the street, you know, poking his arm every couple of hours, um, which it, the reality is, I would say 99% of this planet has an addiction.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I'm what worried. I speak
1: into is that addiction And distraction are synonymous. Yeah, I mean by synonymous, they're one and the same. They're the same thing. And addiction is just your distraction. It's just your coping mechanism. So what? And again, question for everybody listening, what is your fucking coping mechanism? What do you know you lean on? Because I guarantee you've got one. What do you know you lean on when you're just like, you're a little bit stressed. You don't really want to feel, you don't really want to be in the full experience of life right now. Reality might be a little bit overwhelming. There's something coming up that you don't really know how to identify because, remember, you don't really know how to fucking feel. Mm. And so you turn to that thing to shove it all the fuck back down. And that can look like, you know, it can look like drugs and alcohol. Obviously, that's, that's, a, that's a real quick and easy one for a lot of people. It can look like overworking, mm-hmm. social media, scroll holes, Netflix, yep. Yep. eating, over over exercising like anything that actually distracts you from a presence within yourself
0: yeah one of the things to just a slide in there that 100. i see is around people's addictions to their local sports clubs like they spend all their time like they put like yes. I, that's that they define themselves so that to escape who they are are feeling they define themselves by a role in the club? Like, I'm the president mm-hmm. for 20 years, I'm this, like, they are the I soul don't. of the club. But the reality is. Who are you if you took the club away from you? Nailed That's a it. question. And, yeah. and so yeah. I see, you're right. People talk about the, the obvious ones, drugs, alcohol, porn. Yeah. But, you know, it's the guy that spends four hours every day washing his car, mm-hmm. you know, or his hubs are so clean. Like there's all these other things that we don't understand that this is just exactly that distraction, yeah. that escapism. So, sorry, keep going. Anything
1: that we feel we need, underlying fucking need, to fill a void from within us that we don't know how to fill from ourselves mm. ultimately is addiction, codependency, yep. attachment. If you've got attachment to anything, there's there's a level of dependency and therefore there's a level of addiction, right? And it's just a sliding spectrum. It's, just, it's mm. a scale. Some people get away with just eating a packet of Tim Tams a night to sort of take the edge off. Some people love shooting a fucking, you know, a, a shot of fucking heroin into their arm. Take yeah. their edge off. That's right. And I also believe it to be dependent, sometimes, not all the time, but dependent on the, the level of pain they're trying to avoid. Hmm. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. But, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a spectrum. It's a sliding scale. What I was going to say, it's exactly what I was going to say. I personally am grateful that I was at the other end of the spectrum because shit got so chaotic and so bad for me that I had no choice, but to make a choice. Mm. I had to choose. Do I want to heal? Cause I've like this got it got real loud, it got real obvious that there was something causing a problem in my life for the person that just eats the packet of fucking Tim Tams every night. Stuff isn't really going to get that quite chaotic enough for them to actually have the self-awareness to be like, Hmm, Something ineffective's going on right here, like right here and right now,
0: yeah, Yeah.
1: and there's nothing like really loud and really obvious for them to actually make the changes that that ultimately, if they choose to go down that path, will radically change their entire life entire trajectory, entire perception of of this reality mm. um so I'm grateful that for me, personally shit got bad enough to really want to, to shake things up right
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: um but yeah, the the very nature of addiction ultimately in its simplest form is born and birthed out of trauma. Yes. And I, again, want to reiterate that, you know, trauma, I think this is, it can be a real buzzword these days, a real, like, like if you, if you're conscious and you're in the work, you're exploring your traumas and it's like, all right, bro. Like I get it. And like, do you actually really understand what trauma is like? A lot of people again, mainstream narrative can be that, that trauma are these big capital T traumas, and they can be these big capital T traumas, such as rape, such as molestation, such as you know any kind of physical, mental, emotional abuse, mm. um, you know, just coming from a, a impoverished upbringing, you know, an abusive background, violence, all of this. They are big traumas. They, but they can also be really fucking subtle, bro.
0: Mm, absolutely.
1: It can also be really nuanced. And then often the, the more subtle and nuanced traumas can enhance. they can and will have just as much of a profound effect on us growing up. And ultimately all, all these traumas are is that like our needs weren't met as children. And when our needs aren't met as children, we don't have the ability as a child to pass the buck or pass the blame onto our primary caregivers. We can't do it. Our, our bodies, our, our our literal biological makeup will not let us put the blame onto primary carriers, usually mom or dad. And so we turn the finger back on ourselves. And we're doing this as kids. And so as a product of of like, let's just say, like neglect or or whatever that, that creates this 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 trauma, we make it mean something about ourselves. Mm. Which creates a core wound, right? Core wound, insert core wound here. Trauma leads to I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, I'm not enough, I'm not capable, I'm not lovable. You understand the concept of core wounds. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have some sort of resonance with maybe their baseline narrative and where they're like core um what do you call it sort of like your operandi like the, the main narrative that you project into this world from for me it was like I'm not lovable or or it's it's I can't create love from within myself I'm not worthy of that love and so I need everyone from outside of me to show me my worth I need yep. you I need you to love me, bro. That's right. Because I don't know how to fucking love myself.
0: Yeah. And, and I know where you're coming from that. That that's where like there's two things just to jump in on that. Um that that's exactly where I was coming from. Same same as you. Like people looked the outside into our house and we had, you know, that the ideal parents and the community citizens and we always had everything and everything else. Mm -hmm. The One thing we never had is the true emotional connection inside the house, you know, the feeling of exactly that. So, So it can be really subtle as that because I was never abused. I mean there was always Mm -hmm. the fear of a wooden spoon or a strap but ultimately never actually, you know, used Mm -hmm. in anger. The other part is the number of people who make the conversation go, I'm not worthy of having a self wound because I was never raped. I was never physically abused. I was never uh, sexually abused. Right. So because I never went through all mm-hmm. that, therefore my wound is not how dare I talk about my wound because yeah. I had this supposed perfect upbringing comparison. And for me, and for me a lot of the people that because the, the the big T traumas are a small percentage of society. But as you talked on early 90 odd percent of society in this world of distraction, so there's like there's yep. eighty or ninety percent of the people have had these little things who are going. I'm not worthy because I don't sit in the big bucket, so therefore okay. I shouldn't face into it. And and I think they're the people who, also as you alluded to, don't end up in that chaotic world of so of either heal or die, it's mm-hmm. like level of chaos. So they live in this middle ground of. You know, I'm not worthy to go, I had a bad upbringing, I'm not worthy of this, I'm not worthy of that, but as you said, yeah. I see them at work all the time in the corporate space. Mm-hmm. You see the food they eat, you see what they drink, you see the work hours they do, you see the stress that they self-put on themselves in a work environment, and you go, mm-hmm. dude, you are the one that I would really love to be able to help out here because you are living in a world of denial about what's happening within your own space.
1: Totally, 100%. 100% and it can be really fucking dangerous to play that game as well bro and it can be sneaky <laughs> because that game ultimately is a is a product of the ego mm. um which which we create we play comparison my trauma is not as big or as or as, as obvious as yours and so I'm not necessarily worthy enough of, of the same level of work or care or attention or love um and so I'm not going to do it and that's again, that's just the ego's way of trying to distract you from actually taking a look at said trauma. Mm. You know, the, the the ego, this part of us, with however you want to frame it, I just call it the ego mind. It's easier. The monkey mind is its job is to keep us safe. Its job is to keep us in what's familiar, mm. and it, it ultimately, is actually what it's really doing is just keeping you fucking small and in the same pattern and habits because that's that's safe, that's familiar. Yeah. And so it will do anything it can in the sneakiest, most manipulative ways to trick you out of actually not doing the work.
0: Exactly. And that's
1: a real good one as comparison of trauma. And this is why we get to change the mainstream narrative of even what trauma is and how it mm. can affect you. And it's not, uh, Gabor Mate says all the time, it's not, it's not what happens to you. It's what happens in your body as a result of what happens to you. Mm. Um, uh, he's a phenomenal man for anyone listening that, that wants to more insight on, on anything trauma. He's one of the leading specialists in the world, Absolutely. um, but particularly addiction as well. Gable Mate is phenomenal. I think he's re-releasing actually his documentary, um, early October, the wisdom of trauma, which is fascinating. If anybody wants to watch that, it's incredible. Um, But yeah, like in my case, bro, you know, I look back at some of my stuff when I was a kid and it was more a product of of, um, just a somewhat, you know, emotionally unstable or a little bit of an an erratic upbringing, particularly as a result of my mom. I didn't necessarily feel um, uh, emotionally stable around her, consistently felt like I was kind of walking around on eggshells. We had quite a hostile relationship. I never really knew where this next blasting was coming from. A lot of the love I received was very conditional, although she'll, I, I wouldn't imagine she'll ever listen to this. Um, and she probably wouldn't like hearing it if, if she did hear it. Uh, but the truth is, you know, as much as she framed her love as conditional, as, as unconditional, it was very fucking conditional. Yeah. You get this when you have that once. All like, you know, be the big the perfect child and she had placed a lot of her worth in my love, especially because I was the only
0: child. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But well, just, just on that, I know my mum doesn't listen to me. She goes, you know, I'm never going to listen to your podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. and like, adding cool, to that, I can like, talk
0: to anything then. Let's yeah. go to town. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I understand it. For me, that was my dad. Like I yeah. had a conversation with my dad um, about three or four years before he died, maybe three years before he died. And I took him a ladder to say, here's all the things that you know from the age of twelve that I've been holding on that's to dealt with you. And he pretty much straight out said, I had a choice. I could be your father or I could be your friend. I chose yeah. to be your father. And, and now, both sort of I, fucked you up. That, that's all I knew, but that's the choice I decided to yeah. take. And therefore, and you you're one of three brothers, so we're all gonna treat you the same. Yeah. We knew you you're the emotional one, and we knew yeah. the other two were a bit more practical, but in fairness, We decided to treat you all the same as everyone else. So so like it was a good open conversation, right? But yeah, and from then on, funny, we couldn't hug before that, but after that we could. Like we'd broken a lot of barriers. That's beautiful. But yeah. But three years later he passed on. So there's a whole lot of time that I realize now going, Fuck, I carried all this stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: I owned that stuff. It wasn't him. Like I had the accountability to have those conversations with him. And you know, um, in the end, I'm glad that I did. Um the thing sorry you were going to get onto your fourth one. I don't know where we're at in relation to three and four. I was
1: basically whatever. just about to say, you know, again, it's at the end of the day, our parents are only ever doing the best they absolutely can yeah. with, with what you know the information they have at the time, um, and it and it is not. I'm you know, a lot of people can drop into that sort of victim space, which I just never do and refuse to do. It's not. It may have been a product of that and a product of the environment in which I grew up. It's also my responsibility to go and heal that and I don't need to do that with her. You know, my mom's pretty self-aware. She's she's reasonably woke to an extent, um, but I think if she was to really truly understand that, it would fucking crush her. It would really fucking hurt her to hear that, um, and it would be interesting as to whether there was a le- where would be a level of self-responsibility at her end as a result of even hearing that, but it's not going to contribute to her life in any way for me to confront her in that. I can do that. I can do that with the tools that I have with the understanding of, of you know, self healing, ultimately myself, I can go and move the energy that that can create, that that created. I can go yeah. and feel the feelings. I can go and release myself from the triggers. And ultimately therefore, and what I have done is recreated the entire experience I have with my mom.
0: Beautiful.
1: Um, I love that. I guess that was kind of the fourth piece is that this is, this is based in birth out of trauma and just giving a, a clearer understanding of particularly what trauma actually is, which is event or, or some form of need not been met as a child equals. We create a story about ourselves uh, that we there, that there's some sort of lack within us and we create these core wounds. And then we start to create and forge our identity, our identity and who we are and how we show up from, and as a result of these core wounds. And, and, you know, that can look like any number of ineffective patterns of behavior, whether it's people pleasing, whether it's looking for love in all the wrong places, whether it's addiction, whether it's overworking because you never felt good enough. And so your entire worth is in being the best lawyer you can fucking be in New Zealand and Australia. Like it's a lot of it is birthed out of a place of a trauma response.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, But for me one of the questions that I've got to is to be able to ask anyone, if I took this off you, who are you?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, if I took, if I took that work, if I took that title, if I took this thing off you, if I took that car off you, if I took that house off you, who are you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and see how they would, you know, just to have them think through that element to, to understand, is that their, as you your know, their distractor or is that their go-to? Yeah. Is that what they're totally attached to, and then have them have them work their way through? Um, I know from my experience, I gave up drinking two thousand and three, mm. started drinking at fifteen, stopped at about the age of thirty three, um, and I keep telling people, "Trust me, I've drunk enough now. Eighteen years, that I'm I'm good for the rest of the time. I'm not sure when my liver will actually recover, but I think I'm pretty good." Enough <laughs> yeah, they're right?
1: pretty resilient. Those livers.
0: <laughs> That's right. <exactly. laughs> um, but it's interesting. I I had a one-on-one session with a guy at the age um uh, in two thousand and seven. And the question, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, a question I said to him, how do I how do I tell people um, that I'm an alcoholic, sober alcoholic, without them thinking that I'm the guy on the park bench with the brown paper bag? Totally. He looked me straight in the eye and he goes, but you are the guy on the park bench with the brown paper bag. You just haven't accepted it. And I'm like, fucking bang. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, yeah. And and he tells his story of, I think it's uh, Remus and Romulus, which are – effectively two twins in greek mythology mm-hmm. they would go off because they're identical twins they would fight go off get stronger come back and fight go off get stronger and come back and fight but because they're identical every time they got stronger they got the same strength and come back right sure. so so that there was just this fight against each other until they accepted they they realized they could just accept each other for who they are they can have this level of acceptance mm-hmm. and, and i to that point even though i hadn't been drinking for four years could never tell anyone that yeah i'm actually a sober alcoholic right yeah. you know and and it was an interesting that experience to just have that that level of acceptance that that's that was just me. That's who I was. That was just part of what it was. Yeah. What I've subsequently gone on to understand now is you know because then I look back and go, well, my uncle's an alcoholic and my mum's an alcoholic and you yeah, know, my grandfather's an alcoholic. Oh, yeah, it's lineage, right? And the same thing. Like you go, hmm, let's look, let's look through this. And now having doing all the work, you go, no, nah, that wasn't that. It was just generational trauma. I found something to lean into that could help define me. I'm the drunk. I'm the clown. I'm the this because I'm in this world of escapism.
1: Yeah. Grandma and granddad were hurt people. They passed on their hurt to your parents who passed on their hurt to you and all every single one of them who they found solace in the drink. And you just saw that solace and you're like, oh, fuck, if it works for them, it's going to work for me.
0: Right, exactly. Follow <laughs> the pattern. Yeah. The yeah. problem is it was following the wrong breadcrumbs.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's interesting you say that, bro. What what came to my mind, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pick up my phone while we're yeah. sharing this. Is there something I put on my story the other day, which it was actually something that a that a recovery page shared that really triggered me, and it's interesting because he's since taken it down, which I'm happy about. But you spoke about these two twins. Um, and he, he posted this, this photo of it was two, it was that, it was the bum on, on the, the homeless man on the bench and the, mm-hmm. the man in the business suit sitting next to him. And it kind of looks like they're maybe like sharing lunch or having a conversation. And it said, Two sons of an alcoholic father. One struggles, one struggles through life as a drunk, the other becomes a successful in inverted commas, in my mind, a successful, ambitious businessman. When asked, why are you the way you are? Both respond, my father was an alcoholic. And then underneath, this is where I feel it gets dangerous. It's written, it's all about decisions. And so I had a crack and challenged it, right? And I said, you know, this type of, this type of frame on addiction is dangerous, dan- damaging and generates even more shame. Hmm. Um, And my response on his post was that this has nothing to do with decisions and everything to do with the way you respond to the trauma of growing up with an alcoholic father. One models the same way to deal with his hurt and pain by following the same path. The other swears he will never become his father as a result of the abuse and neglect. He also loses himself in his quest to validation through a career. It's all a trauma response, right?
0: And it's interesting you say that because you know, we we started this talking about Talia and mm. I swore I'd never be like my dad. I was a hundred percent like my dad. Yeah. You know, and Talia is playing out her played out her response to the same trauma, how I responded. We both ended up with the same traumas basically from a dad's and whether it be generational as you come through. But ultimately we ended up playing out our response to those traumas. Mm. And all I did was as a dad, as I wanted to be different, ultimately it wasn't. And so when I that's why now when I'm I'm so happy where she is and I have this level of compassion, because I now see that what we did was we just both took similar paths in how we responded to our you know, yeah. our, our childhood traumas, right? And, yeah. and no wonder she's very reflective of who I am in the yeah. basis of both her addictions. You know, like I can sit there and go, fuck, you know, I'm going to judge my daughter for being off doing this. I'm like, fuck off. Like, yeah. <laughs> like hang on a minute, like have a a look, yeah? And that's I mean. why I'm, I sit there and go, go and be free. Like go yeah. and find you. Like it's mm. got nothing to do with me anymore. Like right, Your life that you want to leave, mm-hmm. it's got nothing to do with wealth. It's got nothing to do with stature. It's got nothing to do mm-hmm. with anything else. It's about you go and find you and you go and do you and you become happy just to be you, and I don't care where you do that. And if you, need, if you need financial support to do that, that's cool. I yeah. don't really care about that because it's just—it's materialistic nothing. If it's going to help you find yourself emotionally and help you heal mm-hmm. at, at the age of 24 – Yep. as opposed to fucking waiting to 54, oh, which is so a horrible place yeah. to wait until, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And
0: that's the same with both my kids. Jared, my son's 21, and, and he's going through a few things, and he's also doing a lot of work in his own self-development and realisation stuff. And yep. so that's also, I sit there and go, that's cool. Yeah, Because that's the generation that's going to bring up, they've broken the ancestral trauma yep. or breaking yes. it breaking it, I think I say I won't say broke it, they're breaking it. Yeah. They have an opportunity to re, to redefine something else. Yeah. You know, but guaranteed they'll fuck up their kids because we all do as parents, right? That's, That's their job.
1: <laughs> something that Gabor Mate always says that I love is he's like because he does a lot of work around parenting as well. And he says, you know, you, you can't get this gig right as a parent. Like, you, you're going to fuck it up at some stage. He's just like, I've always just made sure I put enough money aside for their therapy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's the reality, oh you know,
1: God. like you, you, you can't just nail this parenting thing. There's no blueprint. There's no textbook to this thing. You can do your absolute best, even as a conscious parent. There's still going to be some moments and some experiences that may be completely out of your control as well that will create these, you know, said, let's just call them, you know, moments of instability within their life. Yes. That will frame some sort of a core wound. <laughs> it's just, you know, your again, your willingness of, of, you know, what I love that you just said is that you've always been willing to support them in their growth. And support them in their, you know, sort of exploration of self. And fuck me, dude, it's something I've I have gratitude for every single morning. Is actually, and I and I say this so much, is as if I've actually been really, really fucking privileged in my healing journey. I've always had the resources, and means, and support, and love to pour into me. Mm. And a lot of people on this planet fucking don't. A lot of people on this planet struggle. I have people message me. My graduate space is $50 a week. I have people that struggle to find $50 a fucking week, bro, to invest into themselves. And for some people, it's not a matter of priorities. It's not that their priorities are fucked up, it's that they just don't have the cash Mm. and they're looking after kids and like they don't have that extra, those extra resources. And it's something that I, fucking make a commitment to in the business that I'm building out is like how much more accessible can I make this work how much more can I make this available to those that don't necessarily have the availability to find their way into these spaces like I don't know how much you've spent bro but I would have spent over well over $100,000 on my personal development Mm. therapy programs, mentors like etc 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 rehabs if you took into rehabs you know first one was yeah. like 20 fucking grand um second one was probably 10 or 15 you know it, it's a it fucking costs a lot of money mm. that's actual than that is that's truth let yeah. alone not not you know let alone the the actual um courage it takes <laughs> to take yes, those leaps. Nice. but also having the means to do it bro and it's something that i, I found really important and what I try to encourage a lot of leaders to, to create, I don't know what that looks like for them, but I talk about it a lot. And then what I want to build out and will build out at some point is some ultimately some sort of a scholarship program yep. that provides access to those who don't necessarily have that level of access. Because I truly believe that it's really fucking hard to do this alone, bro. I don't mm. I don't actually believe you can do it alone. I do know some anonymities, the word I'm looking for, some sort of like outliers yes. that um, that have done it just by reading a few books and listening to a few podcasts. But they're fucking freaks in my mind. Like if I need anything, it takes a level of accountability. It takes a level of investment. And we really need a lot of leaders to step up to the plate and and create something that gives back to those less fortunate or those that don't necessarily have those means. And it can be tricky to traverse, Bo, because as you probably also know, it's like there it does take a level of investment. Mm. People who get into things for free don't necessarily give it the same energy. As they would if they've paid like you know a thousand dollars or whatever it was, and so it's finding that that sort of point of discernment of of noticing actually how willing they are to come into these spaces, but still having availability for people that might not be able to afford the sort of luxuries that we've had access to.
0: Yeah, I I fully agree. It's something that um I know through some of the programs that I participated in you know in that you know in some of the conversations like okay so you've had this you know, our conversation with this person now three times right you're going to charge it for the next one aren't you and there's all these sorts of things and you're right there's a level of that balance between are they just getting something from you for free are they okay. are they really valuing it you know and, and the other part is that you know are you valuing yourself like mm-hmm. what value are you putting on the, the knowledge and experience that you've actually got to actually be able to portray this right and I'm in a slightly different position to probably all the coaches out there is in I actually love my professional job. Yeah, I, I, I get that. to work with really good people and and I get paid fucking really well, like really well in that job. Mm. And so I don't need to drive an income out of – the other thing, which is probably what I do most of the time in a podcast, right? It's free. It's easy. I get to have this conversation with a man every week and it's mm-hmm. fucking phenomenal. Like talk about filling your cup, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. just sitting here listening to you talk for the hour or so is like, fuck, that's so great. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and because we get to talk into things, right. Sure. Um, and so, but yeah, even I'm thinking that what, what programs would I look to do? Because, you know, I live in the corporate space and I live in this corporate world and, and I see the pain and I see the distraction and I see, what I feel, and this needs to be judged, how much better a person that could be from going from you know, um, I suppose wanting to take from society, being able to give to society. Like, how do we go away from being takers to givers, and how do we yeah. help people understand that they can still live in this world and be able to do that, still mm. be still be successful, but be able to give, you know, be successful through as much giving back as we are taking out of it, um, and just working the way through that space.
1: Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. It looks different for everybody, and mm. I love this. You know, just having these conversations. You know, this this code, and I'm sure it has been for a lot of listeners a birthplace of, of of just sowing the seeds of change and being like, right, okay, fuck, it is time for me to go and do something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my the mantra of the podcast is the right message will hit the right person at the right time. Of course, yeah. You know, so even if there's only one person that listens to this and gets that message out, and yeah. they go that's great you know or that that you know that fundamentally gets them thinking slightly different about what's happened um so we've definitely used up pl- plenty of your time and i really appreciate that Matt. um and your openness and your honesty about where you've gone to one of the things that i do like to ask is um because this is mainly targeted men you know um if, if it's what what would be and I know this the the hardest question to ask, but what would be a simplified message or a message that you could give out to you know a man or or even a woman that's got a male in their life that that's listening into this that we could, you know, as a as a key takeaway?
1: Fucking feel your feelings. <laughs> Probably. In the simplest form, feel your feelings in a way that's actually effective. Um but even going simpler than that would just be, like, don't be afraid to to reach out for help. Don't be afraid to reach out to fucking, like, just a homie that you know can hold you if you're going through your shit. Like, just the power of talking, of sharing, of just giving a voice to what's eating you up inside. You know, I've always said I, I truly believe one of the most powerful Uh, sort of you know let's call it a trauma release modality it's just talking it's sharing and just being a little bit maybe more discerning with who you're doing that with as well like you know find someone that you know in your heart of hearts can actually fucking hold that conversation and hold that space for you to just speak and share and, and allow if it is coming up if your body feels safe enough to do so Allow the emotion that comes with it. Allow the fucking tears. If you're fucking angry and fucked off and pissed off, go and smash a fucking boxing bag. Go and have a like a primal scream in your car. Don't react from that place, but still acknowledge that that anger is there and that that anger is present or that that sadness is there and that sadness is present or that grief. Or if you're going through a fucking breakup, ask for help. You are not alone. It's that simple. Like you are not alone. Everyone on this planet is going through or has been going, has gone through some fucking shit. And most people are more than happy to fucking give back or to help you as much as you feel like you might not be worthy or deserving on that. That's fucking bullshit. And it's, it's in that sharing. It's in that feeling that you start to heal the feeling creates the healing and that's when we can start to just see life through a bit of a different lens we see a little bit more light through the fucking trees and we start to take those steps in the right right direction you know the amount of men i've supported especially that you know have said they were literally, you know, the, the, they were literally thinking of taking their life and they reached out to a bro or they got themselves to a workshop or they or they just they reached out to someone and just did something different to break the the cycle or the pattern or the chatter or the conversation that was going on solely within their own head. And when they could bring that to a safe space, everything changed for them. They actually chose to live. Yeah they chose to stay on here on this fucking little marble. They chose to heal. And like, that's all I can say for so many men, you know, like this, this is normal. This is normal. Mm. As much as you might think it is, it is, it is actually the norm. It is the norm. It, it, you know, it saddens me to say it, but it's actually the norm to feel a bit fucked up. It's actually the norm to feel a bit confused. It's actually the norm to feel unsure uncertain to feel depressed to feel anxious to feel scared that's actually our societal norm what is also normal is is us leading to make everyone believe that we've got our fucking shit together when in actual fact we don't and it's that thinking we have to have our shit together that's killing us because it stops us from sharing it stops us from speaking it stops us from fucking healing and the more that we can actually find the courage to speak up, that's the most manly thing you can ever fucking do. It's just speak what's on your fucking heart and ask for help and ask for support. The moment you do that, people will fucking rally around you and you'll start to rally around yourself because you also start to realize that you're not alone. And that's that's the moment where everything changes. That's, that's my... Final little fucking words of advice, bro.
0: That's a that's such a beautiful summary, man. I love that. So There's your little me.
1: sound bites to promote this podcast with, bro. You,
0: you've worked out the secret. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go through ninety minutes of stuff to find the soundbite, right? I just ask a guy at we the end, give me
1: yeah. the nugget at the end,
0: like you just go, right, the last five minutes. I'm just gonna search. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a bucket. You're the first person to pick up on that.
1: <laughs> I'm good at what I do, bro. I can see pedants. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Like every good interviewer asks for the yeah. sound bite. I
1: <laughs> love it.
0: All right. Um. Appreciate that, man. It's been great. Thank you for the amount of time you offered. Thank you for having honesty and integrity in the conversation. Absolutely appreciate it. It's been beautiful meeting you. Uh, I Thank know you as I said earlier, I am extremely grateful for, you being here at this point in time in all our lives because you know uh, you were here at the right time for talia and that's made Mm. meant a lot Mm. to her and it it means a lot to us so have a wonderful beautiful day up there on in beautiful queensland i'm sure it's gonna be like a 28 degree day beautiful and sunday is just last thing
1: i do want to add my bro if it's okay is is i do really love to encourage and i genuinely mean this for anybody listening like if you are in that struggle right now please never, ever, ever hesitate to reach out to me. Like I give anybody that's listening to these podcasts, I, you know, I've know i had a few this week, full fucking permission. I'm never too busy to check a fucking message on Instagram. Like if you need some help, you need some care and attention, please message me. I, mean, I don't know if you put my sort of tags and stuff in the copy of these podcasts. I'm sure you do. Um, but if anybody needs that, wants that, desires that, requires that, just fucking message me.
0: Yeah, no, nah, absolutely. Um, I do. So, yeah, so basically stories, everything, you, you're all fully tagged. Um, for those who are listening, Drew Wilde, get him on Instagram, um, and his program, his line in the sand um, that he runs, which is just a fucking amazing program. <laughs> um, has lots of people signing up to it too. So uh, you can't go past Drew, again, just another that guy that's uh, – because he's authentic yeah, you know, and that's what you know um i was just say that you've heard this on the podcast <laughs> who is 100% fucking authentic he's not he's not a robot he's not yeah. a bot fucking just trying to make cash he's generally comes from his heart and he's authentic and that's what yeah. i love and that's why i like getting guys like yourself on here so um i'm gonna let you go you have an absolutely Appreciate beautiful it. day man thanks for your time again and uh we'll definitely be uh chatting along the path so take care much thank love thank you my
1: friend. that's love talk soon
0: Hey, y'all, uh, that was Drew. I can, uh, you know, I, I can only reiterate, I just love getting on and having these conversations with, with men like Drew who are just so open, so honest, willing to be transparent about the story. And, you know, um, as I said, there's an immense amount of gratitude in my heart for what he's done for our family, um, for what he's actually doing for, for men, for what he's doing for women around the world and the program he's come up with because... Um, as you can see, he stepped into the he stepped into his fear. He stepped into his courage. He's listening to his heart, and he's rolling out programs that are fundamentally changing, making a difference about how we view addiction and how we view things. So, um, as I said earlier, when Drew was there, find Drew Wild under Instagram. As you said, he's available. Reach out. I know he's pretty much responded every time I've spoken to him, which is awesome. So that's a wrap. Um, episode forty-two of the Unearthed Man podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, you can find me on linkedin instagram and facebook Uh, this is milvo wishing you much love and care see ya